0: Welcome to Episode 8 of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we're going to be talking with author Kristen Stovall, who has written the Song of Souls trilogy. But first, let me go ahead and just kind of let you know how the show is going to be moving from here on out. Up until now, we've had sort of an unofficial format where we would start off with the guest, and then I would have some announcements later on. We're not really going to change that. I'm just going to kind of formalize it. I'm going to get to the guest in a minute, and that's always going to be the case. We're going to move right on to the feature presentation. Afterward, I'm going to have sort of a Internet resources section where I'll be telling you about various things I found on the Internet that would be beneficial to you if you're looking for resources for film and sci-fi and fantasy, and then I'll probably wrap up with some just quick ideas for stuff to do until the next episode. So again, I'm going to get right into our talk with Kristen, and then you'll be seeing what I mean after the break. And we're here with Kristen Stovall, author of the Soulbound Trilogy. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well. How are you?
0: I am doing great. I have been enjoying your book immensely.
1: Yay!
0: And I'm going to kind of give a very, very top-level idea description of what it's like because i don't want to spoil anything for anybody but uh it is the story of a woman who loses her husband and ends up being reunited with him in a supernatural sense in the not too distant future and the two of them end up going on a fantasy quest together yes so i think that's the most non-spoiler description i can give (laughs) so why don't you tell us a little more about it yourself
1: Uh, Well, the Song of Souls trilogy, Soulbound's just the title of the first book. The Song of Souls trilogy was inspired by my own experiences of going from newlywed to widow, and just not having any real idea at that point what to do with my life, because everything I thought I was going to have was gone. Uh, And the idea came about just through listening to music and the The idea for a scene just popped into my head, and I kind of went with it. Before I knew it, I had enough for an entire trilogy.
0: It's amazing that that would kind of roll from that experience. Up. Now, it, when you say uh, it, it, you became a widow very quickly, what's the rough time frame we're looking at?
1: We were married about a year and a half. Okay, before he passed. Okay, so it's not fun,
0: but no, I, I can. In a good place now. <laughs> I can see that, and and actually that was one thing that struck me as I got toward the end of the book is that this is an extremely dark experience for you, and yet the book that you created out of it, I wouldn't call it light, but it's something that I wouldn't hesitate to give to a younger audience because it's it has that kind of tone that anybody could approach it. Right. I
1: wanted to walk a delicate balance between making it engaging and deep enough for an adult to read, but also appropriate if someone a little bit younger read it. A- I would say that the other books do get darker. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it, with what they're going through and character development, it almost had to go that way. It almost mm-hmm. had to get a little bit darker in order to really do the story and the characters justice.
0: Fair enough. And, I mean, younger people can handle uh, heavier subjects. I think it's a mm-hmm. disservice to them if we don't give trust right. them to do that.
1: Right. Uh, yeah.
0: Again, not trying to give any spoilers, but at, at the beginning <laughs> of the book, I found it there, there were a lot of really neat ways in which you incorporated her experiences uh, you know somebody's wanting her to just get over it and move on, and you know the kind of feeling that you'll have when you you have a loss with somebody and they they kind of move on with your life much sooner than you do, and there's a resentment oh, yeah. that you don't
1: yeah um, yeah.
0: A lot of those moments were in the book and I, I thought that was really well done on your part.
1: Thank you. It's a little easier when you've experienced it. There are definitely things that come directly from that experience and then obviously things that are completely made up I didn't get any magic powers after my husband died I'm, I'm sad to say that would have been a, a nice perk but no <laughs> um but the scream in the very beginning of the book which I don't feel is really a spoiler because it's literally the first page uh <laughs> that actually was something that happened when I I found out I did scream like that I, I don't had, remember it that well, but people who were there said that I nailed it. So, if
0: I had to guess, I would have said, "Yeah, that probably did happen." That that was pretty pretty clear. So, do you find it difficult to sh- talk to these to people who haven't had deeper losses in your day to day life, and if so, has the story helped in that regard?
1: I did at first. I definitely found it more difficult at first. I'm a fairly introverted person, and initially this was my way of being able to say, this is what I felt. This is what it feels like. This is how visceral and raw it is. And it it was a safe place to do it without feeling like I was really exposing myself in, in a way that made me feel vulnerable or uncomfortable. So that was definitely something that I did.
0: So you use this main character as kind of an avatar through your own grief process and, uh, can you feel a difference in how you felt writing page one versus how you felt finishing the whole thing?
1: Yeah, there's definitely a difference in how I felt in like, starting the trilogy and how I felt when I finished it because I'm, like the final book is done, we're in the editing process now. One, I was a lot less sure of myself when I started. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd, I'd written before, but never really on this level was something completely original. But uh, with the final one, I felt more confident and yet at the same time, weirdly less confident because I knew exactly where I wanted it to go and how I wanted it to end. And I'm my own worst critic. So I was like, I don't know if I got it. I don't know if I did it. It has to be bigger, and better than all the other ones. But I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I nailed it.
0: Well, I'm, I'm sure you did. And I'll, I'll let you know when I get there. <laughs> so when it comes this is a fantasy novel, as I might have mentioned before, Uh, really interesting choice of genre for this kind of story. I mean, everything fantasy gets compared to Lord of the Rings. So I won't try to put those two together. But I will say, is that the kind of thing you like to read yourself?
1: absolutely absolutely everything goes through the fantasy filter for me all of it (laughs) Uh, tolkien actually was a huge influence on me there's also another author named juliet marlier who's brilliant and i don't think enough people know about her but she's brilliant and i love her work for me fantasy is just an easier place to explore some of the deeper emotions and and issues with the day-to-day life that we face here and now.
0: So uh, you're talking about those issues and uh, you're creating these parallels. Was there any certain point at which writing these things kind of became too hot to handle or something that you just uh, you felt almost tempted to put the story back for a while?
1: There was never a point where I felt to like I wanted to stop or regretted starting, I did hit points where I wasn't ready. I just, I couldn't focus on it. I didn't really know where the characters were anymore. I wasn't hearing the story really speaking to me. And so I would stop for a little while and maybe not write at all. Maybe write something just silly, like Star Wars fan fiction, you know, just something that I didn't have any pressure with, um, but I never wanted to stop. I always needed to tell the story. I needed to get it out. And as I progressed through the book, she became less of an avatar of myself and more her own person. And, and now people are like, so it's about you and your husband, right? I'm, no, no, we're very different people. It's not, yeah, about, no. it's not about us. <laughs>
0: no, I mean, I, I'm not. So, I, I would not. I, I said avatar deliberately because right. I'm sure somebody out there, if this person is not me. Somebody out there is going to flip this open and say, this is a Mary Sue, which is, I don't believe that's the case. <laughs> this is right. this, this right. is something, you, you put some stuff together from your own experiences, but this is a her own individual. She has flaws. She's a legitimate character. Thank the you. avatar is just something, something that you got together roughly of your own experiences. And right. Um, where I'm taking this is, I'd like to kind of see... The use you were talking about the silliness in my head, and I hope that you take this the right way. Okay, I don't see this as being a full fledged Peter Jackson experience. In my head, it's like I see these characters being played out by the folks down at the local medieval fair and, <laughs> and the, the, the bit players there. And that's that's not it's just that's the kind of tone you have, and I think it just works in the theater of the mind
1: so funny because I'm a Rennie. <laughs> well, excellent. Excellent. I love Ren Fairs. Excellent. I've worked at a Ren fair so <laughs> you know, that's my target audience right there. <laughs> I,
0: that, I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise. Yeah,
1: no, I, I definitely, definitely appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will be at Ren fair and just stay there all day. Sometimes I'll get into a character and just go, and that's what I do. I, going to be that character. I've also done Ren Fairs dressed as Dorothy, because why not? <laughs> I,
0: there's always the one guy walking around dressed as Darth Maul because he has the costume and right. only gets to wear it twice a year.
1: <laughs> exactly. At Ren Fair and Comic-Con.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> Both of which I enjoy, so.
0: <laughs> so what kind of conventions are you hitting in the near future?
1: Probably not anymore as of this year. Okay. I just because I've hit two of them already and I'm trying to buckle down and get the, the book done. That might change if I hear of one within a reasonable distance that has somebody that I wanna go meet or I just end up having a little extra time and decide I wanna go. Or if Ben Barnes is that one, that's gonna be guaranteed. Like, I will just find a way to go. <laughs> 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 I mean, priorities.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
1: So, uh, but I don't have any planned for sure right now. The goal is to get the third book done, and then I actually intend to start going and doing the Comic-Con circuits with my books, which will be a little sad because I'll want to be in a costume, but I feel like you have to be a little professional. <laughs> so.
0: I don't buy that rule personally.
1: <laughs> well, I need to be somewhat comfortable if I'm trying to sell books.
0: <laughs> okay, I do get that. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah, I worked at Booth dressed in a full Starfleet uniform many a time. So, those boots do hurt after a while.
1: My favorite costumes tend to incorporate corsets, so yes, sitting no is uncomfortable. <laughs> and I go steel boned because otherwise you're actually in more pain.
0: Michelle SPECT recently referred to corsets as feminine scaffolding.
1: <laughs> it, it's fitting, I think. Literally yeah yeah i have a terrible back so there is a level of comfort with a corset on
0: <laughs> so do you have any future plans for future projects you'll have to get specific but good to know something else is in the pike.
1: oh yeah i'm actually going to stick in the universe for a little while with soulbound stick in that world but jump around with different characters the next book that i have planned is actually something of a prequel But a prequel in the same way that The Hobbit is the prequel to The Lord of the Rings, Mm -hmm. it is, but it isn't. It has Mm -hmm. some connecting factors, but it's not actually. The stories are very much their own stories. Mm -hmm. So I do intend to do one book with that and kind of go into how one of the characters' families ends up where they are. And there is going to be one character from the trilogy that will be in that book in a way that people will not expect to see him or her.
0: That's a good teaser.
1: (laughs) Hopefully it's a good plan. (laughs) We'll see if I can make it play out the way I want.
0: So uh, again, trying to stay spoiler free, but uh, you, this woman ends up being reunited with her late husband. They have a little adventure together. She has to go through some trials and tribulations to get to that point.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: If if, if the afterlife really worked that way, do you think it would be a good thing? Would that be something to look forward to in your mind?
1: Oh, that's a good question.
0: (laughs) I'm not letting you be bored here.
1: Right. I think it could be good or bad. I think Mm -hmm. it would be easy for people to misuse it, Mm -hmm. to use it as an excuse to not move forward and live their life. But I think it could also be a good thing in that who wants to say goodbye? And some people never remarry or anything after they lose a spouse. Mm -hmm. So maybe it would be really good for them. I don't know. I think it's one of those things where you can't make that judgment call because it would be different for each individual.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm just like,
1: I'm going to skate around a definitive answer here.
0: (laughs) Oh, and that's fine. (laughs) You can skate all you want. Uh, would be interesting because you know if, if if you knew that somebody had a mate out there who might be talking to them you can say you know i actually do know who killed me or by right. the way i left I, I left a couple of books for you in in the suitcase underneath the staircase so you know you may want to look at that and
1: right there could be some perks to it
0: there, there, there would be some communication and, and t- yeah. even if you had to go through proxies
1: right um, yeah, which is a thing in the book. Not everybody can see no. the, the soulmates.
0: I should have mentioned that. That's why I was, because every soulmate can only talk to their other soulmate. And or at, at least anyone as far else as far who's like... soulbound. Right.
1: And if you're a magic user, that's mm-hmm. another one. Magic users can see the souls that are still there, and uh, other soulbound can. But, I mean, soulbound become magic users, so it all sort of ties in together that was a tough one to logic out but i think i got it (laughs) it's all these details you don't realize you have to worry about
0: (laughs) yeah once you start getting in the realm of things that don't actually happen in in the world we see it's like okay well now you have to work out the logic because when you just make it up as you go along people figure that out in a hurry
1: all right even if it's a fantasy element it has to have a logical base it has to Mm -hmm. make sense there has to be a level of believability to it Otherwise, you fail.
0: How many nights and how many glasses of wine did this take?
1: That book or the whole trilogy?
0: (laughs) At least go for the book.
1: Oh Well, for the first one, I was definitely known to pull all-nighters on a fairly frequent basis. I try not to drink when I'm writing, but sometimes after a really difficult scene, there there must be wine after. <laughs> there is more wine at the end of the trilogy. <laughs> there's one chapter in particular that I'm always like, every time I go through it, I'm like, okay, I need wine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, tears streaming down and I need wine. <laughs> but as I love my characters in my books, I could be crying just because it's over or because I did a terrible thing. <laughs> There's no way of knowing. No,
0: I I suppose not.
1: (laughs) I do enjoy doing terrible things to my characters.
0: Okay, I was about to ask if you're going to be a J.R.R. Tolkien and protect them all, or if you're going to be a George R.R. Martin and just knock them off one by one.
1: I like to think I kind of walk a balance of both a little bit. My editor did once call me female George R.R. Martin because I wanted to do mean things. And she's like, just... Stop! Just leave this poor character alone! I'm like, but I like being mean to this one!
0: There, there is no growth without pain.
1: <laughs> exactly! It's not a fun adventure if they don't have to suffer a little. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I can't really say which one I'm going to be without giving something away, you know, for the end of the trilogy. I have to be really careful with that one. And I really have to monitor myself with spoilers because I'm so excited about it. I want to tell everyone the ideas. (laughs) And I have to remember they want to read them. I can't just tell them.
0: And you might change your mind and that would just be, then it would be wrong.
1: Well, at this point, it's all pretty locked in. We're, Ah. We're just going through the final details cleaning it up and and my editors telling me when I've made a stupid choice and how to fix it and I love editors who will tell you when you're being stupid so that's a good editor if they'll tell you if you're being stupid
0: <laughs> you know one of the best criticisms I ever got was somebody just saying stop it you're a better writer than this which was basically <laughs> yeah. yes saying I was stupid but that I didn't have yeah. to be stupid it was a choice to be stupid
1: Right. Yeah, I, I think I've heard something to similar to that from, from <laughs> her. <laughs> or this is making no sense. Why is your character doing this? You just did this to put the action in. And I'm like, man, got me. <laughs> I didn't want to think about it too much. I should have known you would have. <laughs> so, I, I do enjoy being mean, though. can't help it. Like, I want to... Get visceral reactions from my readers. Like, if I do something, I want you to feel it. Mm-hmm. And I very purposefully kept Soulbound a little lighter and a little. I like to tell people it's deceptively simple.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd agree to that.
1: There are deep, if you read it and remember some of the details, there are things set up in that first one that come into play as it progresses, but initially don't seem like they're much of anything I like writers that do that and I like stories that do that so that when I finally get to it I'm like oh wow how did I not see it coming but then it made sense
0: okay now as as a fan of trilogies I have to ask the classic question did you write the whole one and then decide to do two more or was it a trilogy from the moment you started writing
1: um it became a trilogy About a third of the way through the first book, I realized that I couldn't really tell the story I wanted to tell without making more than one book. Hmm. And I knew some of the things I wanted to do, but I wasn't sure of every single plot point for the other two books. I just knew where it needed to end up and knew that I needed more than a book to get it there. Hmm. Good thought hopefully <laughs> <laughs> I'm always I'm always ready to doubt everything I do which I, I think is probably a good thing it means I look at my stuff pretty objectively
0: so let's say we kick the can way down the road and and this thing is the smash success we really should be it have you cast fast. any character in the movie in the movie version of the book oh yeah oh, oh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always mentally cast, Mm. (laughs) which is one of the reasons Ben Barnes must be met if he's ever had a con. (laughs) Just going to hand him all three and be like, this character, I want you to play him. (laughs) Here's your turkey leg. (laughs) Here's your mug of root beer. Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, actually, Roran, her, her soulmate, is the one that I would see him as. Fair enough. He's got a very expressive face, and I just think that he could do all of the different emotions that a character like that would have to go through. I mean, this is a character who cannot physically interact with the world around him, Mm -hmm. who just has to watch the person he loves go through terrible things, and he's really fairly helpless to do much of anything. He just has to be there for moral support.
0: (laughs) So let's... I'm sorry. I
1: think that in and of itself is a fairly terrible thing to do to a character. That would be it, awful.
0: It really is. Um, it, 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 there are some definitions of hell that fall into that category.
1: Yes, that is something I, I explore with that character.
0: And now I feel bad that I haven't quite gotten that far yet, but I will be getting there.
1: <laughs> I think that comes into play a little bit more in the other books. He, I, I, I am willing to say that in the second book, he does become a, a point of view character. He's not in the first, and that was a very deliberate choice. I needed their story to be told from her perspective. And another choice that I made was that you never actually see their life together when he's alive. You only see it through memories. You only see it through flashbacks.
0: So perspective becomes really key there. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm. Yeah, you, you never see their life together. You never see them living together and it was important because the story is not about who she was before it's about who she becomes because of or in spite of or both
0: mm-hmm. it's it's also really encouraging for somebody if you know if you if you lose somebody and this gives you a way of you usually whether you believe they're still out there or not but you often present the illusion that they are there it's crucial to you right. and that that becomes a relationship you have with that person
1: yeah Absolutely. And, and that's
0: something that it is very hard to communicate. I think you did a, a pretty yes. good job. Thank you.
1: Well, they say write what you know, and sadly, I experienced it, so I wrote it. <laughs> okay.
0: I have a book about watching Night Rider and watching Nachos coming out. So,
1: <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> uh,
0: excellent. Excellent. <laughs> but in all seriousness, so uh, do you have an internet presence out there? People can keep tabs on your upcoming works?
1: I do. I have a website, Kristen Uh You can find me on Facebook. I, if you want to find me for books, it's better to find the Song of Souls trilogy page on Facebook. I'm a little more iffy about friend requests because I have a tendency to get weird ones and then all of a sudden guys are messaging me and I don't know who they are and it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> and then I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. So you can find me on any of those. Those are good Those are good places to find me.
0: Excellent. Well, I do want to thank you so much for doing this. Um, is there anything else on your mind that you'd like to talk about while we're here?
1: Uh, well, the second book is currently on sale for 99 cents. If you have a Kindle, you can get that for 99 cents. It's usually $2.99. The third book is coming out on August 15th, so the entire trilogy will be done. This is the time to get started. <laughs> you won't have to wait that long.
0: That's a fantastic deal, and I can vouch for it being all... I mean, I, I would easily pay, if, if it was a print copy, $10, $12. That's about the going rate for these things. 99 cents is an absolute steal. I highly encourage you to do that.
1: Right. Okay, thank you. <laughs> sure.
0: OK and so I'm, I'm
1: glad I'm,
0: you're enjoying it. Oh well, I'm, I'm, I do appreciate it. And how about? Um, I'm going to let you go. All right, but I'll be glad to have you back anytime because it's your pleasure to talk to. Uh, you're very talented,
1: <laughs> and you. I do
0: expect to see more from you in the future.
1: Thank you. Well, I look forward to our future interviews.)
0: I would like to thank Kristen for appearing on the show and I would like to strongly encourage you to go ahead and first of all, pick up her book. It's a genuine pleasure to read and go to the show notes at www.aaronbosick.com for links to her social media presence and her future works. To get back to what I was saying at the beginning of the show, from now on the segments on Hungry Trilobite are going to be more defined. I'm always going to start off with the guest and our conversation. I know that's what you're all coming for, so I want to get you right to the main event and not waste your time. However, after that, I'm going to have a sci-fi resources section where I spotlight some excellent websites, books, and videos that I've come across while doing my research. The internet is a big place, and it's sometimes hard to find the real gems of content. And that kind of brings me to the philosophy behind Hungry Trilobite and what it's all about. For one thing, I think a lot of sci-fi fans are wanting better content. The internet has given us a sea of material, but too much of it is clickbait and memes. And those things are all well and good, but what we really want is substance. And I'm going to try to recognize the people who offer substance over Flash. This resources segment is going to be specifically for the audio version of the podcast. I just think that's a strength of this particular format. And the YouTube version is going to be essentially just the meat and potatoes and nothing else because I just think that's what that audience wants. So for you who are listening right now, you're going to have essentially a digital magazine. So let's start off. this uh, The sci-fi resources section this time is going to be a twofer. I have two blogs here which are just fantastic, and I really want to recommend them. The first one is Sci-Fi Film Fiesta. You'll find that at sci-fifilmfiesta.blogspot.com. The link is in the show notes. And what this site does is it kind of brings out... Movies and sci-fi gems that are pretty easy to miss. They give a little blurb about each one and often provide a YouTube link to watch these films like Gamera the Destroyer, Robot vs. the Aztec Mummy. You know, I'm a mystery science theater fan, so I'm familiar with some of these movies, but I only know them with puppets talking over them. And sometimes you just need to actually watch the real thing. I also want to talk about 5D, and their website is www.5d-blog.com. And this is a really, really in-depth website where they spend a lot of time talking about what sci-fi means. They spend a lot of time talking about movies and sci-fi events. And they really get into the nitty-gritty of how good was this movie? Where did the story come from? Uh, Is this movie going to be a flash in the pan or is it going to be a lasting treasure? You're going to find the first thing you'll notice is the articles are extremely long by internet standards. So they're actually going to give you a decent amount of analysis on each event. I've talked to the people who run it, they're really, really bright, and they have a podcast too, so it's a twofer. And lastly, before I let you go, I'm probably going to end each episode with a request on something you could do to help the podcast. And today my idea is use the share feature on your phone. Most people are probably listening to Hungry Trilobite on their mobile device. And whether you're using Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or even a web browser, most of those programs have a little share button. It's a square with an arrow pointing up. You tap that, you bring up the podcast, and then you make an email to your best friend. Somebody you know would appreciate the podcast, send them an email saying, Hey, I like this show, why don't you give it a listen? Honestly, I would really, really appreciate that. So thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon.